Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are so pumped to have Patrick Carroll. Patrick Carroll is the embodiment of what you might call the American dream. At 24 years old, he quit his job as a clothing rep and started his real estate investment firm, Carroll Organization, with investments in Georgia and Florida properties. Over the last 16 years, Carroll's acquired over $6.9 billion, with a B, in real estate and successfully exited over $3.3 billion. In addition, Carroll has landed on the Inc. 5000 and is recognized as one of the top workplaces to work in multifamily. Carroll is known for hiring the brightest minds in the business, the dramatic results they achieve for their investors, and of course, the ambition of the man that we're excited to interview today. Please welcome Mr. Patrick Carroll. Pat, thank you for being with us today, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. It's funny, you go from being the young guy uh, in business uh, to being the old guy. (laughs) You know, I I kind of like it. You know, it's kind of like, all right, I can get used to this. Uh, That's right. But yeah, my story, uh, just to kind of jump in, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and, you know, was a high school athlete, didn't really take high school seriously or any school, Um, thought I was going to play basketball at Florida State and ended up not. Literally ended up kind of getting in an argument, you know, about, you know, what, what that entailed and, and saying, screw it. And so I didn't go to college. I kind of said, you know what, I'm going to go out and make money. And uh, I did. I, 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 <laughs> I first was uh, kind of joined a family business, which was a clothing uh, manufacturer's rep. And hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I would basically travel up to Atlanta and various southeast cities and really knock on doors and sell clothes. And, you know, everybody kind of laughs when I do that, but that was a cool job when I was 19, you know, sure. I, was selling to, I was the only guy in, in a primarily female business. So I was, you know, it was, it was fun. I went to Atlanta, I went to New York, I got to see really the country and, and kind of learn the Southeast. And so, you know, when I was 21, I moved up to Atlanta. I literally got a hundred percent mortgage and bought a condo in Midtown Atlanta, wow. uh, 1101 Juniper Street. And Come on. so I remember uh, walking around my parents' uh, pool area and, and talking to a mortgage broker and literally her saying, okay, well, we got you 100% financing. And I'm going, what? And, and so literally I moved up there, didn't really even have any furniture. My parents thought I was nuts, and, but it worked. And so from Atlanta, I was kind of, uh, I was based there and I was still doing the clothing rep thing. But about a year into it, I started using the same way I got that, that mortgage, buying uh, houses and flipping them. So the first investment house I bought was a property called t- or 2161 Glenwood Drive. It was a two bedroom, one bath in, you know, East Lake Atlanta. And yeah. so, uh, <laughs> but you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I hired uh, a crew at Home Depot right down the road and paid them. And they were basically day laborers and we painted the place, we fixed it. And literally I was getting ready to go out of town and put a for sale or rent sign up. And I ended up selling that place and making a profit. And after that, I was hooked. And so I did like 12 of these. I remember I went back to Tampa, Florida and visited with my buddies that were all in college. And uh, we were at a place, I won't say where we were, but an ATM receipt popped out. And it it had like 900 grand in there. 
and they were like, what in the hell? So (laughs) it's just been kind of storybook, you know, Uh, the business that I'm in today is not really a business you can just get into without a college degree. I mean, it's an institutional capital management uh, business. So the way I went about doing it, you know, it looks good in the rear view, but basically I was, I was doing enough deals to where, I was gradually working my way up to bigger and bigger deals. The deals I did in the Cliffs community in South Carolina got me introduced to a guy in Boone, North Carolina, named Ken Wilcox. Ken owned all the student housing in, in uh, Boone, North Carolina, which which was where Appalachian is, where Appalachian State University is. Yep. So, you know, Ken was trying to sell me home lots. What I saw was he had this building in downtown Boone, North Carolina, that was you know, perfect to be converted to apartments. And so I convinced him to put that deal, put that property into a deal where the two of us partnered and I built apartments up top and retail on the bottom. And really that was my first big development deal. When I was, when I finished, he bought me out and that was, that was March of 2008. And so in 2000, you know, in in September of 2008, the world got jolted. (laughs) And so it looks great in my marketing materials. It looks like I timed it, but I didn't, you know, it was just kind of, it was kind of, this guy wanted it more than me, you know, and, and did it. And it was just like, okay. And so when the world fell apart, I saw all these guys that I could never compete with going broke. You know, they all had development deals going. I remember George Lane in Atlanta, Georgia, and all these big guys were wiped out. Mm. And so, you know, the one thing that I could tell was that apartments were surviving, you know, all those mortgages that I had gotten to flip homes and things like that, people had gotten and now were losing their homes. So that was pushing people into the apartment market. I also saw shopping centers and office buildings going empty just like they are today. And so I'm not going to be in that. So literally I would take, you know, publications like Globe Street, any, any real estate publication, and I would read about groups doing deals. And so Paradium Group was some of the, Premium Group, Angelo Gordon, Carlisle. These are all groups that I was reading about doing deals. And I would literally call them, cold call them and say, listen, I'm Patrick Carroll. Uh, I'm doing, I'm in the real estate business. I'm going to be in New York. I'd love to stop by, you know, and introduce myself. And some would say, go, you know, go to hell. Some would say, but sure, you know, and this is, I was 27. And so a lot of them would meet with me and just almost, you could just kind of see them laughing. And so, you know, a lot of them, the common theme was, look, you're a smart young guy, but you have no company. How are you going to operate all these apartment buildings you want to buy, et cetera? And I agreed with him and I hated it. But, I, I, you know, I kind of took that. <laughs> and, and, and so back to Atlanta, I'm still looking for deals. A broker, instead of sending me an opportunity to buy a property, sends me an opportunity to buy a property management company. And so literally 30 days later, I bought a 5,000-unit uh, property management company in Alpharetta, Georgia. Um, that guy, you know, ends up having a friend in Greenville, South Carolina, named Gary Hedegar. And so six months later, I bought Hedegar Enterprises that managed 12,000 units. And I was doing this with basically seller financing. I put 20% down, and, and that's how bad the market was. These guys were these guys were basically old guys that said, whoa, we want out. Yeah. And so, you know, I got them, I convinced them to do the seller financing. I was putting money down that I had from the previous development deals and, but I was kind of going all in just because I had to build that organization that convinced the capital partners. I was a good partner. And so the third one I bought out of bankruptcy. I mean, after I bought two, I got the reputation for buying management companies. So a third one miles properties came to me uh, 
through a guy named Ron Glass. And it was, it was in liquidation. And so I ended up doing a deal with uh, Wells Fargo. And so we bought, I bought that company. Um, and so literally you look up and you go from zero employees a year later, you got 300 employees. Whoa. So it was, you know, everything was starting to come together. We were managing property, you know, from Texas to DC down to South Florida. So I would go up and say, listen, the same exact opportunity still exists, but now we have infrastructure, you know, mm. don't, don't take my word for it. Here's a guy with 20 years experience. So what you said, um, you know, you said something about the level of talent, yeah. you know, the level of talent that you have working for you, being a, a founder, being an owner is the best job. It's like getting to be a pick Tom Brady, you know, you let to, you get to literally go out and get people smarter than you and incentivize them to help you make money. And so, mm the hardest strategy is how to convince people to believe in you and your strategy and how to make them feel comfortable that you can pull it all together. And so when you're starting a business, that's the hardest part, you know, getting people to believe that, okay, this guy's got a, a, a vision and he can actually execute it. Yep. And, and so that's, that was the hard part early on. And then the second part was getting anyone to believe that you were capable of buying these large deals. You know, we've done about 7 billion in transactions. Actually, we've done 9 billion in transactions. Those numbers, I didn't grow up talking like that. You know, yeah. when you first say it, like you said, with a beat, yep. it was like, wow. And so the term fake it till you make it is, is a real thing. You have to have confidence that you can get it done. Um, so really, I ended up getting one deal done in Georgia. It was a developer named Mike Davis. I'm still friends with him, but it yeah. was, People say, how'd you get that first deal done? It was that good of a deal. And, and that's the best answer. I mean, I checked all the boxes, but it was at the end of the day, if a deal is good enough, you're going to get it done. And so it was that good of a deal. The guy two weeks later calls and says, is this Pat Carroll? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're that guy that bought my deal. I said, yes, sir. He said, Let's <laughs> go to Houston. And literally he took me out of Houston. I'd never been there. And he showed me four deals and I said, I'll take them. And that was like 400 million. And wow. so, you know, once you do those deals, you just pick up this momentum and literally the call <clears throat> and, and not and just in the story, it was, it's been, a, it's been drinking from a fire hose, but in a good way, mm. you know, we've, I've bought and sold over, you know, 150,000 units, you know, we employ over a thousand people. I've been able to give to great charities, you know, the high school I went to is <laughs> it literally has a wing named after me. And so it's, it really is when I describe myself, I either call myself a lottery ticket winner or the American dream, you know, yeah. because, you know, everybody's dream is different, but man, this is exactly what I wanted. And so, um, you know, that's kind of like everybody, you know, once you start having a little success, you come up to New York and investment bankers, the number one question you get is Pat, what do you want to do? You can do anything. We can sell your company. We can take it public, this and that. What do you want to do? And that's the hard question to answer, you know, mm. It really is. And it's one that I don't think I've answered yet. You know, the idea of a company, I think, is to respond to opportunity. Yeah. And so when an opportunity, when something bad happens like this and everybody is, is, you know, freaked out, it's easier to see opportunity. Yeah. Things are firing on all cylinders. It's very hard to see, okay, what's the opportunity, et cetera. So, yeah, you're almost, reason, yeah. you're almost paralyzed by possibilities when things are going well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But when exactly. crap hits the fan, you kind of see what, all right, there's only a few opportunities, but they're obvious, right? They're obvious. And what's interesting is we all have been through things like this before. We all should know, okay, you know, this is bad, but it's not the end of the world. 
and what I was surprised by is not that many people acted like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I started an initiative to give away some money because I wanted to do something to put positive momentum back in just in, in the news feed, you know, because I wasn't hearing anything other than bad things. So, you know, as a way to kind of motivate my employees and to kind of just getting positive things out there, I did, you know, a challenge to try to raise some money uh, for COVID-19. And, you know, but that along just getting people moving in a positive direction, it just stimulates all kinds of idea flow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coming out of this, you know, not only am I, uh, you know, even more in love with the real estate business, but there's other industries that have said, okay, these are industries that are here forever. You know, you got healthcare, wellness, that I think after something like this, forget about other things that being important. These are probably the top of the list. And so how do you play that? How do you make, you know, a business around that and make it scalable? You know, everybody can have a good idea, but the guys that make things scalable are the ones that, that, <laughs> that you guys want to talk to. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm excited. I, I've got a newfound, I'd say excitement and uh, I'm pushing the hell out of everyone in my company. I mean, and I think that's what a CEO does. That's what a leader does. It's, you know, he's the one that has to say, go right when it's time to go right and go left when it's time to go left. Yes. Okay. So one, that was an amazing uh, overview of your story. And there's, I've <laughs> written down so many notes of things I want to touch on. If you'll yeah. allow me to of course. Go, go back to the beginning when you hadn't bought the the property management companies yet and you're just a solo 24 to 27 it sounds like age range um you talked about when you did have investors and you did have a team the trouble was getting people to buy into you yeah but when it's just you it's got to be you buy into you and i know the insecurity of going out on my own and starting my own company years ago and the human feeling of like who am i you know that imposter syndrome of like do, am I really a big deal or am I capable of this? Like, what was that like for you, even psychologically being that young or were you naive in a good way and it didn't even, you didn't even think about it and you just charged into it? Like, what was that like for you in that time when it was just you? I think I was naive in a good way. I mean, since I've been a little kid, I've seen myself being a business guy and like, you know, you know, mentors of mine tell stories about, you know, like I was the guy in high school organizing the parties and making money off it. I was the guy, uh-huh. you know, so I kind of feel like I always was doing stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. Every time I walked in these 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 office buildings and conference rooms in New York City overlooking Central Park, I was like, what the hell? But it's, yeah. it goes back to that fake. Everyone feels that. And so that's where they call it a leap of faith. They call it a bunch of different things. But you have to just take that leap. You have to get outside your comfort zone. Um, I've had somebody describe it before as a sphincter factor. that is amazing exactly so if it it tightens up a little bit you know you're probably you know that's a book probably you know yeah the sphincter factor (laughs) (laughs) but it's true you know and so it's funny you get addicted to that you know Mm. and that's why guys like me and guys like you guys are saying yeah you know it was good the past few years but it was kind of boring you miss that excitement you miss that aha moment where you can connect the dots and it all just kind of works yeah Mm. Okay, so for you, was it in the moments that you did feel that, like, all right, I'm definitely brushing up against my own estimation of myself? Is it is it what we experience a lot is actually helping people just literally flip a switch? Yeah, that, that you look and just flip a switch into the confidence you need, into the belief that you need. Was that what it was for you walking into those boardrooms? Like, oh, yeah, could you just flip a switch? Yeah, and you know, and and I'll tell you, it's kind of like you know, 
I said it earlier, sometimes you say things and you're like, damn, that sounded good. For some reason, I could just pull the right things to say. And, yeah. and, I, and I shine in that environment. Mm. You know, um, if you ask me to sit and uh, run operations on a daily basis, that's not my my forte. But I tell people that ask advice, go with something that feels like, you know, when Michael Jordan's on a roll and he's he's in the zone, you know, go to something that, that gets you just flowing, where you look yes. up and you, you know, the whole day has gone by and you're just like, damn, that went well. And so I think that's a little bit of it. But again, yeah, man, the best thing I, I can tell people is to be proactive. And, and, and I think I'm stealing this from somebody, but fail forward. You know, it, like there's shame. You know, the conversation we had yesterday was the difference between, you know, like thinking at things positively and whatever and just being kind of blind. You know, I think if you are proactive and you actually have a good idea and, and things like that, but are willing to make mistakes confident that you can fix those mistakes. Yeah. That's, that's mm. the approach I always try to take. So I would literally go and lay it all on the table and say, listen, I'm nobody from nowhere, but I will work like, you know, a dog. And here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mm. do this, 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 and this. But sir, you know, son, did you think of this? No, but I, I will now, you know, so I think people are looking for solutions minded people that says, no matter what, I'm going to get it done. Yes. Yeah. That was something when our, when the, the reality of, especially in March, got uh, pretty serious for our world is about to change, at least in the short term, pretty drastically, likely for the long term as well. Yeah. Our team was freaking out a little bit. And, 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 you know, why are you guys staying calm, Jordan and I? And I told him, listen, our confidence isn't that we have it figured out because no one has it figured out right now. Right. No one knows what's really happening, what's going to change tomorrow. But I said, our confidence is that we can figure it out. Exactly. So that's different. It's one thing to have a confidence around your solution. It's another thing to have confidence around your ability to get the solution, yeah. right? And that sounds like what you had. You yeah, I, and, and, and humility layers it in there. I mean, look, the biggest example is Donald Trump, right? I, you know, he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about on, on the healthcare part, but he's coming out in an arrogant way and this and that. So people are rooting. There's a different approach. You take it from a humble standpoint, like you said, like, look, we don't know all the answers, but we're going to figure it out. I think humility plays such a big yes. part. You can be confident, but humble at the same time. You know? yeah, yes. That's a power combo. Humble confidence. That's yeah, great. That's right. Yeah, we talked about uh, – um, I was actually having to do this for a, a video we're putting out later. But the idea of either owning your – like often we'll own our strengths and hide our weaknesses, and we call that arrogance. <laughs> Other times we'll hide our strengths and own our weaknesses, and we call it humility, but it's not. It's a false humility. Yeah. And true humility is both owning your strengths as a gift to people while also owning your weaknesses – and that's where we bring in team. Like, that's why you're here, right? Exactly, yeah. And that's and, that beautiful combo. It is. And that's what's cool about a business, too. And, yes. And I think that's what there's, I'm sure you guys have heard this in business school. You know, do you want to be king or do you want to be rich? And so, you know, one school of thought is I want to be king. I have to do everything myself. I have to rule. I have to make every decision and everything mm. has to pass through me. That person there will be king of a very small castle. You know, the other guy says, okay, I want to be rich, which basically means to me, like the Google founders taking their company public, right? Jeff Bezos taking his company public. <laughs> he only owns a little bit. He has a board of directors, but guess what? He's the richest person in the world. Mm, so you have yeah. to be willing to uh, admit that you need the help of others and that you're not, the, you know, not necessarily the smartest guy. None yeah. of us, no entrepreneur has to be the smartest guy. He That's has, right. He has to be able to pull the team together and, and you know, and get yeah. the ball in the end zone. That's cool because that's the power of who you are as a person and you're expressing that, but also the type of business you decided to create. Cause all the real estate deals is like 
you didn't build that all on your own. You know, yeah. you didn't do all that. I mean, it always takes a team and typically mm. pretty massive teams to either bring the capital, to bring the resources, to bring the property management. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I, oh, man, I say it all the time at their Christmas party. I say, guys, you know, thank you. You know, the only yeah. thing like the, my biggest fear is I wake up one day and none of you guys show up to work. And so yeah. you can be the smartest guy in the room. And if nobody wants to work for you and nobody will believe in your strategy, it's just so it's, it's a delicate balance, man. And, and yeah. And, and I'll tell you this, COVID-19 even hammers at home even more. You know, I think the whole world's gotten a little more compassionate, but, you know, it, it's one thing to be a hard charger and it's another thing, you know, to, to be an asshole. And so yeah. I really, like we made t-shirts that said that a couple of years ago, cause I got up on stage and, you know, my, our COO, David Perez is a great guy, gave a yeah. 30 minute talk on, you know, the core of our operations, et cetera. And I just, at the end of it, grabbed the microphone and said, you know what? What he's trying to say is don't be an asshole. You're not an asshole. <laughs> if you're not an asshole to the residents, if you're not an asshole to your coworkers, it'll be fine. And so yes, they all thought that great was Great value. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of true. And, and you guys being in Greenville, you know what I'm talking about. If you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and then you go through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, you have a significantly different experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know Dan Cathy. He's not the brightest business person I've ever met. But somewhere, somewhere inside that organization – they train the hell out of their people. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, you've got to take a service mentality in any industry you're in. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, one of the things I saw all throughout your website, again, we, you know this because we told you this, yeah. we, we hand-selected who we invited to interview on this. Yeah. And so some of the criteria, criteria is obviously fast-growing company, made the Inc. 5000, but the other was like the quality of the person, the quality of the organization. Yeah. And what was clear even on your website was your humility uh, and then one of the things you said a lot was, I just did what my mentors told me to do. Yeah. And I want to know about that. Like, who were these mentors? How did you find them? And then what kind of role did they play in coaching you in key moments or in building up who you were? Like, what was that? What did that mean to you? Yeah, I've had, I've been blessed with great mentors. I mean, the, the, probably the best mentor I've ever had is a guy named Tom Shannon. He was the guy, uh, he owned a shopping center in town. And, you know, early on, my dad had a clothing store. And so he says, he tells a story when I was a seven-year-old kid, I'd go into my dad's store, steal Coca-Colas and go around the corner and sell them. And so he's, you know, he's kind of had an eye on me since I was a little kid. Uh, Tom was a real estate developer and he also was one of the founders of Outback. So he had this vast business. He almost seemed on another level from anything that I could kind of fathom. So when I would, would talk and ask advice to Tom, his feedback would be so large that it would almost, you go to that fear factor, you're going, Really? And until it happened, you know, and so the great thing about Tom is a lot of times I say it, uh, say it often, you outgrow your mentors. And so I remember a couple of years ago, Tom said, listen, I have nothing less to offer you. I'm watching you, you know, wow. you exceeded. So I think the best mentors you can get, none of them ever sugarcoated anything for me. They were hard. It was almost like a football coach going, okay, I, I have very little time. So what I would do is I would seek out guys. If I was 25, I'd want to talk to the guy that's 50 or if I was or 40 or something like that, who, who is on that level that I wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. And I'd want to have lunch with him. I'd want to pick his brain and just say, you know, it's almost like you, you humanize it. And, 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 but these guys, and I would make no, uh, I would not hide my intentions. They'd say, okay, well, what are you looking to do? And I'd say, I want to get rich, like, like real rich. And I would say, you know, <laughs> And, and, and that was, to me, it represented freedom. And, and, and to me, it was like in sports, you want to be the, you know, you want to score the touchdown and, you know, 
Well, I was for, when I was first starting out, money was the objective. It changes over the over years as other things become important. But you know, so I wouldn't. I would be very clear. I would say this is what I want to do. And then they would laugh, just like. But and then I'd say, no, really. Here's what I want to do. I want to make X amount of month or X amount of year, and I want to buy X amount of deals. How do I finance that? Where do you go to get the capital? This and that. What are they going to look for? And you almost earn respect from the level of questions you ask. Mm. If you if you're wasting someone's time, that's disrespectful, and I doubt you're going to get it. But if these guys see a little of themselves in you, they're going to help you because you know what more than not, it's going to come back in a good way, you know? And so one of the things I've noticed since I've been doing more on LinkedIn, social media, things like that, is the level of feedback I'm getting is, is, is good. And like, I'm thinking to myself, damn, I'm going to end up doing deals with these guys one day. Yeah. And so it's, it's a virtuous circle and you can always tell the guys they get it and don't get it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I love that. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. The industry that you're in comes out so much of like, there's just that, that team factor. I want to go back to your story a little bit because you did talk about something that I think is pretty compelling for the, even the audience. And even I'm just so curious about it is, Hey, those first followers, like how do you begin to lead a team and that, what did you learn about leading a team? But before even that, like, how did you learn how to actually gather people to you? You're talking about communicating a vision. Like what did you learn about, you know, failing to get people on board? And then what did you learn about actually getting those first followers, you know, that first yeah. team around you, they're like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I don't think Pat's crazy. I think he actually is about to build something. I'm in. Like, I mean, look, I still, I, I still struggle with that. I still think people say Pat's crazy on a daily basis. Yeah. But we literally have a saying at the company called Carol Strong. And what mm-hmm. Carol Strong really means is eventually you'll understand Pat knows what he's talking about. Because yes. I think it takes a good six months for people. The, like when I used to be in the office, people would be like, gosh, he's fun. You know, he's this, he's that. And then he'd look back and he worked. And so uh, people started this thing, Carol Strong or whatever. And uh, it's just, it's kind of funny. And I'll tell you, since I was, you know, what I did was specifically set out to design the type of CEO, the type of boss that I would want. Mm. And so I wanted to look the part, you know, I, I, I wore a suit and tie for 15 years. You know, yeah. I wanted to look the part. I wanted to instill confidence. I wanted to be taken serious. And I wanted to also kind of let them know that I needed them. And so, you know, when I bought the, uh, the, the management companies, I really was. I was desperate. I said, listen, I just put everything I had into this. I need you guys. Yeah. That's not the best strategy because they will take advantage of <laughs> But I think, again, it's just you just have to will it into execution. You have mm. to be real yeah and you it can't be about your own personal ego which is probably hard for people to understand but you know i named my company this is funny i named it carol organization because at the time i had just read art of the deal and donald trump's company was trump organization yeah. <laughs> and, and so perfect me, timing yeah yeah and so me and my it guy literally uh knocked off donald trump's website way back and so yeah. you know but i think it's very similar in anything you take a person that you um, that you look up to, at least their business accomplishments. Again, when I was first starting out, I was reading the, the forms list. I was reading all this and trying to back into how these guys went and, and about doing it. Mm, um, yeah. But, you know, I think that's really what it was. The mistakes I made, I mean, I had to, I had to fire a whole office in Greenville. And it yeah. was just because I didn't put myself in their shoes. You know, they mm. had a guy named Gary Hedegar that ran a business for 20 years. It yeah. was like a family. 
And then a, guy, a 27 year old guy named Pat Carroll comes and buys their company and is telling them, no using green font, that's ridiculous. I want everything to look like IBM. That was my model. Yeah. I want us to look like IBM. I want us to look like we're proven, like Goldman Sachs, before we're even there. Because right off the bat, you're a young company. People are going to think you don't have your act together. It needed to be buttoned up, you know. And so, you know, the, God bless them. The people that were working for me in, in Greenville couldn't get that. They didn't. This mm. is back when signature blocks were for, like a new thing. So I wanted everybody to have the same signature block. I wanted everybody's yeah. cards. So I think all that level of detail, our core values are focus, ambition, integrity, uh, and excellence. Yeah. And so um, I said that early on and it's just like, look, that's what I expect. Yeah. Mm. And so I guess the mistake I made was not being gentle enough with that message. You boom, boom, <laughs> boom. You're, you're so you're operating out of fear when you first get going, you know? Yes. <laughs> and so you have to just remember somebody's on the other side of that and you've got to make them comfortable. So to lead, you know, you have to have people, you have to have people, <laughs> I think, love you and fear you. You know, yep. it, it has to be a delicate balance or else, you know, you've heard of paralysis by, by analysis. You can't, yes. you can't be too hard on people to where they can't, they can't get their head around it. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'd even, exchange, uh, I'd even exchange the love and the fear. I, I agree with you, but the trust and respect, right? Where the love is where they trust you. They're like, yeah. dude, this guy's got my best interest in mind, like his. Yeah. And they respect you in the sense of like, but he also owns this place. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, I think early on you have to you have to demand respect, uh, you know, blah blah blah, and, and then over time it comes with they 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 see things you've done and they and they respect it, and mm -hmm. so I think um, you know, but you're still the same person. I mean, to me, I feel like I'm still that 21 year old guy that's got all this to prove. The hardest thing is, as you guys probably know, is is actually when it's time to take a step back and do nothing. That's yeah, the hard yeah. part. So you know, I remember about five years ago. I rented an office three floors down from my office in Atlanta because at this time in the company, it was the time for me to back up a little bit, let, you know, the other people play the daily positions and even get a little, you know, uh, exposure in the marketplace, let them, their names be known and things like that. So I could sit back and whiteboard and think about things. Um, and, and frankly, it was hard for me to be seen not working so hard. Yeah. So I had to remove myself from it. Um, and I think that's what it takes. I mean, I think sometimes you have to not be there as much and, and not micromanage. I mean, yeah. nobody likes micromanagement. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we were literally talking about it this morning. One thing I've always tried to do is align interests. And so, you know, it's one thing when you, when you're high-fiving everybody, it's another thing where you say, if, if this thing works, we're all going to benefit from it. Yeah. And so what we do at the company is, is it's not an initial thing, but a couple of years in you become available uh, or at least you, you're up for the opportunity to, to be involved in the deals, involved in the transactions. So, you know, I think incentivizing people is a good way. You, you know, Jack Welch said, you got to kick them and hug them. And so I think, you know, if, if all you're doing is banging on people, that doesn't work. But if you're banging on people like, you know, Michael Jordan was the hardest guy to play basketball with because he was a tyrant. Yeah. But they got all those championships. So I think if you if you present like this is why we're doing it, you have to motivate people in a way like that. So I, I, it's a dance, though, and it's a different yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to answer. But I think it's a daily thing that a leader has to do, you know, is kind of figure out how to make that that work. Hmm. Uh, 
just a curious question. Do you have, are you seeing anything change in terms of how you're leading people that is more uh, cultural or just with the times of like, Hey, you know, the kicking and hugging actually looks a little bit different in 2020 than it did in 2004 when I was starting out. Like, is there, are you watching any cultural shifts with workforce or anything like that? Absolutely. And this is the area that I need you guys to buffer me, but like, you know, the political correctness sitting up here in New York city, if, you know, if I were to talk the way I do on conference calls, like I'm just a loud dude. So, (laughs) you know, walking down, it's funny. I walked inside and walked into a clothing store uh, and it's called, I want to, they'll kill me if I don't know their name, but it's called like black and blue. It's like a trendy store where all the celebrities go in. And I was literally living at the time when I first moved up here, I was living in a hotel in Soho. And so it was freezing. I had a, I had like a hoodie on, I had a black sweatshirt pulled over my head and like, I got Bose headphones and I'm pushing this cart. Well, this cart was this freaking uh, Whole Foods thing that I literally bought for like 30 bucks. Like, it, you know, and I'm bringing my, my groceries back to the hotel and, but I can't pop it in this place and, and on a conference call out and they thought I was there to rob the place. They were, like, <laughs> on, they were like freaked out and it's just funny. So, you know, I think I've definitely had to pay attention to, you know, that's not, acceptable or that's not cool anymore and it's a delicate it's a delicate uh dance as well i mean Mm. we're a private business you know i don't envy a lot of these public company ceos you know um but i think look i think if you use your common sense and 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 just kind of apply that you know i think it's a good filter i think when people get too sensitive you know, I don't like to encourage that because damn, you're going to have the whole world picketing in the streets, you know? And yeah. so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, merit to say to the saying, I read a book one time and said, become undefendable, you know? And so, you know, if you want to, you can find a reason to be offended by everything, you know, but you can also yeah. find a reason not to be. So I think, uh, yeah. I just try to be real with people. And if I, if I screw up, I apologize, you know, that's it. I don't, I don't mean to offend. I mean to, you know, I, I, I give sports examples all the time, but it's just like, you know what? I'm out there to win, you know, yeah. and don't, yeah. you know, and so I think you have, I think people like that, whether they admit it or not, you know, yeah. I think the last thing you want is, especially in a time like this, when, when the, the world just got jolted, you're not worried about political correctness, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I think, uh, Hopefully this blows this back a little bit. You know, I think for a yeah. while, I, you know, it, I, hopefully it reminds everybody that nothing in life is guaranteed. And, and a job is, is you know, I, I have a lot of friends around the world and they would do anything to be working in the United States. And so you look at it and you, you say, we were all kind of blessed, but, you know, one, being born in the U.S. We have great yeah. opportunities. We can start businesses, things like that. And so hopefully a little bit of that kind of seeps back in. But it definitely... You know, with the roles reversed, I, I can see how it's hard to sometimes say, you know, gosh, this guy's got it made or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's everyone's dealing with different things at different times. Well, you're right about the public versus private companies. I mean, that's been the one thing you see is the pressure that you're under as a public company means you're, you're really affected by public opinion. Really? And weird things happen when you are – not just accountable to your shareholders or to your employees, but now you're almost a politician. You know, yeah, you're a politician and that's what we do not want politicians running business. No, like, like the one of the best things I heard, love them or hate them. Somebody said, uh, they're talking about Steve jobs being an asshole, you know? 
and they said, okay, well, do you want him to be a nice guy or do you want the iPhone? Bingo. And I love that. <laughs> Which one do you want? Did you want him to be a nice guy or the iPhone? Uh, now we, we as coaches for yeah. executives and organizations do promote what you do, which is, which is kindness, respect, love. Cause we think that wins over the long haul, but yeah. you can never eliminate the human factor, which involves personality. Yep. And that involves somebody having enough freedom to make a mistake and be able to own the mistake and move on and not be crucified by public opinion or social media or whatever. Uh, so it is that delicate balance. Like, can I just be me? Can I have yeah. my personality? And can I grow and evolve and respect other people's personalities? So it is that fine, fine line uh, that and I do love. That's the answer to it, though. You know, and I'll tell you, even as a business owner, you get to a point where, you know, you do it. You have to constantly be setting your business up for, for, for future growth. Because, mm. you know, the old saying, and, and one I believe is if you're not growing, you're shrinking. And so, you know, you, the way I've always positioned the business, it's no doubt a real estate business but it's also pliable. And so you can, you can kind of pivot, you know, you don't get so heavy on one strategy, like say roundup real estate development. That's a, that's something you're, you can't, it's like pregnancy. You can't be half pregnant. You can't be half into a development. Mm. And so it's very hard to pivot from things like that. And so for me, I always, I always try to watch the technology companies. They do such a good job, but 10 years ago, I thought they were idiots, you know, wasting shareholder money by just spreading it into all these different sectors. But now it's just like, gosh, they were right. And mm. so I think, you know, you have to constantly be thinking what is changing at this current moment that my business may not be prepared, be prepared for. And how do we, how do we prepare for it? You know, there's two things that you've, you've mentioned throughout your story that seem to be critical. That would be lessons to pass on that I want to touch on um, leverage and imitation. And I want to start with leverage uh, so much of even buying the, 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 uh, the project management, uh, the real estate management companies, uh, was an immediate leverage for you. You went from you and your resources to now hundreds of employees. And all of a sudden the capacity went through the roof. Right. And then as you built a team, you mentioned having a COO, all of those things that you delegated to somebody else became a leverage point for you. Um, but what you said earlier was right. Is that it's scary. And so as we're working with a lot of leaders, they have to come to grips with the fear that they feel of delegating for the first time mm-hmm. at any point of leverage, because there's that, that, uh, but what if they don't do it right? Or yeah. what if they don't do it my way? Or I, cause it feels like you're giving up control or uh, even fame. Like you're letting yeah. someone else succeed yeah. uh, and you lose that. Like if you win, we win mentality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what was that scary for you? Like, what was that? What was that like to delegate when it had always been your control over something? Look, it, it's, it's a scary thing, but it's also a, a necessary thing, you know? And so I think I, I studied enough business to understand, you know, it, it, you had to have multiple team members, but you know, also I didn't go to college. So I had to, I was self-taught on finance, uh, even marketing and, and on management. So really at, at, at first I was observing, I was putting people at place that had long histories of doing that job and freaking, you know, going, eh, that works, that doesn't work. And so I was a little bit learning on the job, which is again, not a good strategy. I wouldn't advocate that. You know, the biggest risk and the biggest fear I have is, is dishonesty or, or, you know, if somebody has is bad intentions or if somebody's intentions are, so I, I would say on that point, you know, interview people, you know, uh, you know, make it a point, don't delegate that 
look at them in the eyeballs, have lunch with them, understand what kind of person they are and what their motivations are, and, and try to eliminate that, that dishonesty factor. If you can do that, all these other mistakes are fixable. You know, don't, don't delegate the position to make a make or break up, you know, decision on your company. But if you're going to grow, like they say, you're going to break some, some eggs when you're making an omelet, you know, under, you know, explain that to your employees. I'm okay with little mistakes, you know, as long as it's good intentions. So I think yes. if you can drill down to the intentions and make sure the intentions are aligned, you know, you can, you can kind of mitigate some of that risk. Yeah. One of our friends, uh, Alex Estevez has been a part of growing and scaling multiple companies, especially in technology and selling them for huge multiples as CFO and CEO. Ooh. And he talked about it, one of the companies, uh, I think it was at Atlassian that they, um, they had kind of a rule that like, if you made any decision that was based off of one of their core values, you couldn't be fired for that. So it was a way to actually decide what kind of mistakes are okay. Yeah. Which is like, you made a mistake, but we can see that you made a decision based off our core value. Yeah. We can learn from that. We can move on. But if you start making mistakes that are out of alignment with our core values, that's a deal breaker, right? Yeah, and I like that. It sounds like what you guys do as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the other thing is it sounds like you've delegated in a certain direction. Yeah. Meaning, and this is what we help people as well with is like, you need to be moving more and more towards your unique ability and offloading yeah. the things that really aren't your unique ability. So it's not random delegation, but right. it's allowing you to play, which it sounds like your sales ability, your people skills yep. are yep. through the roof, yep. your visionary skills through the roof, <laughs> connector ability through the roof. So it's like you are moving more to that quadrant Yep. while letting people in management and in details and admin and that kind of stuff who that's their super skills, you yep. know? Yeah. Is that, is that right? It's right. on. It's perfect. It's perfectly set. And, and you know, it's funny. I didn't realize it at first, but every three weeks I was flying up to New York and these guys I would meet with in New York were private equity type a hard chargers, you know? And it was such a thrill to get through successfully and, and to, to make those meetings work and the things like that I thrived off of. Um, and so naturally this is where this was probably the last thing that I was willing to delegate, you know, because the growth of the business was really, that's the lifeblood. And so I clung to this and, you know, this is where I, you know, I felt most comfortable putting yourself out there, you know, getting out there, trying to make relationships, trying to put deals together. And, you know, you're, you're spot on though. If you can do that ahead of time and say, listen, you know, I'm a natural born salesman. I need to be out in front you know, let me surround myself with, you know, blockers and tacklers. Yes. You know, and, and, and I would even encourage, you know, advocating or expressing that to people you're looking to hire. And I, I did do that. I mean, I said to, to the guys as we kept going on is you're not going to see me sitting next to you in the office every day. I'm going to be out trying to make this happen. You know, I need to make sure the the trains are showing up on time and, you know, people are doing what they're supposed to do. And for that, you will share in all this. Yeah. And so, you know, it's funny as you watch some of these big companies like Microsoft, Apple, you know, the people that are running those businesses now are those back office people, those operations. And you can see how the businesses have changed. Steve mm. Jobs was a dynamic person, you know, and, and, and the combination of having a guy like on the supply chain, like Tim Cook, et cetera, made that business so scalable. Yeah. But you're missing that element to where that wow factor. So I think self-awareness and knowing where you're good and where you're bad is a huge positive, you know, mm. hopefully you're not good at, you know, I don't know. 
to change your tires. You know, hopefully you're good at like the cool shit, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think you do have to, you have to take in that look in the mirror and, and, and actually I try to say there's no such thing as negative feedback. It's just feedback. And yeah. so literally every Sunday I'll do this. I'll go through the week and I'll say, okay, what I do good, what I do bad, what I, you know, and I try to just kind of, you know, look, you're your own best asset. And so you try to, you know, improve in areas. I'd be sitting in meetings and I'd hear people talk about things that were way over my head. <clears throat> and I'd go back and Google it. I'd read on it. You know, it's just, I think yeah. if you want to, you know, another thing is I'd go into a meeting and the guy would be wearing a watch or something that would really impress me. And I would go learn on it and, and, and make it a goal to get something like that. Because if you're sitting in a meeting and you're wearing that watch that that guy wanted, but nobody could get, you know, or something like that, it's, 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 it's instant credibility. Wearing the on, right suit, you know. On just, Sunday, yeah. uh, on Sunday, when you do that 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 kind of reflective exercise, is there actually an exercise that you follow that guides kind of that reflection of what did I, you know, you know, screw up and what could I do do better? Is or is it just intuitive? It's just intuitive. I mean, it's literally asking myself those questions, kind of, kind of going through yeah. the week and, and and reflecting and grading myself a little bit. And so, you know it's kind of embarrassing. It's like a little girl in, in my diary, but yeah. like I'll go into it and I'll say, you know, this was a great week. You put points on the board. You make great relationships. You did this, um, you know, working, you get better. You know, maybe you were too hard on that person in operation or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the advantages of a, a personality similar to mine is you're really fast, you're quick and you're making things happen. Yep. It's just, it, it's also your disadvantage. So, you know, yeah. sometimes you miss over the hard, <laughs> the hard work that was, was being done while you were out, you know? So one of the things that we, uh, we love to do is celebrate some of those uh, team members. Uh, well, I love it. Cause you've teed it up well to say, Hey, there's probably some people in your organization that are uh, consistent showing up day to day. They're probably pretty great listeners. They probably, you know, are, are able even to be more focused. I would guess you probably are like, I don't know if I have ADD, but I like to focus on lots of things. Oh, yeah, I, I, have, I have ADD. Yeah. I'm the poster yeah. child. So take, take a moment, celebrate. Who are those like incredible people for you uh, that are a yeah. part of your team right now? They're like, these are the day-to-day -day people that like crush it. They still can keep the big picture in mind. They can execute the strategy, but they're consistent and they're, they're running the operation or they're taking care of the finance or they're, they're, you know, managing our people really, really well. Um, tell us about those people and how you found them and, and why they're great. How do they compliment you so well? I mean, they're, they're, I literally love them to death. So I got Jamie Scott. She's my CFO. Uh, Jamie was presented to me. Her description was that she's a muni bond, meaning like she's this. And so uh, a guy from Goldman Sachs actually introduced me to her. I had a CFO that I had to fire, like, you know, back to the dishonesty thing. It was, we were blowing and going. We were growing, and all of a sudden, this guy lied to me about something kind of stupid. Mm. But it was just this radar that went off and said, listen, I can't have my CFO lie to me. Mm. And so that minute he was gone, we had to find a new CFO. And thankfully, we found Jamie. Jamie was a CFO at a, at a smaller real estate operator. and she, or Actually, she was a controller, and she wanted to be a CFO. And so we gave her that opportunity, and she has done great. I mean, she's really transitioned. She's done a great job, and we have thrown so much at her. So you know, and, and thankless, you know, she doesn't ever ask for credit. She's perfect. Um, you know, a guy named David Perez has done a fantastic job too. He kind of runs the operations business again, very thankless. And, 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 you know, lastly, Josh champion has been my right hand man since we, you know, really in 2011, I started really getting a lot of traction and that guy's His last name is champion. 
Yeah, exactly. So he had a lot. To, he had a lot to live up to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll hire all of those. All of those family members. We'll hire ex- them all. Exactly. Um, so they they've just done a great job. And so the unique thing about all these people, at least these three, were they'd all worked at big companies before, and so they had that corporate background. Uh, they they had experienced the the bureaucracy, and it frustrated them. But they could also come in and put things in place that protected our business, like policies and procedures, all the stuff that I didn't want to deal with, but I needed for my own protection. They did a great job of putting that in. So it's one thing to, to whiteboard something and talk about scale and things like that. But as you guys know, it's a different thing when rubber meets the road. And so you need people that are either trained in that or just really good at, at you know, checking the box, making sure things are done with excellence, you know, putting out you know, expectations and monitoring it and just overall management. So, mm. you know, find those people quickly and, and guard them, you know, because they're valuable. Well, with a visionary like you, tell us, I know I'm, I'm going to be on the money about this, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. With a visionary like you, you either have second in command kind of people be your worst nightmare or your best ally. And yeah. mainly because you're so big picture and even that Carol Strong, that idea that like you might feel crazy at first, but you're proven right later. Yeah. Is that really um, interesting relationship and trust that a, a on the ground person has to have that they yeah. can hold your big idea and also bring it down to present reality and the strategic plan to get there. Yeah. And either that person is constantly trying to burst your balloon or feels like a, a stick in the mud. Yeah. Or they feel like the guy that's like, yeah, I'll make it happen, Captain. You know, yeah. have you experienced that? Yeah. And, and, and again, another one is a guy named Pavon, um, you know, again, came from a big, he was a big, he was a chief technology officer of a big company. But these guys saw something in me probably before I even saw it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they're the type that are going to give you confidence. When somebody's willing to bet their livelihood that you're right, you know, that's, that's a reassuring thing. And, and you don't want to let those people down. And so, uh, you know, I'll tell you, man, that's, that's, that's what everyone needs. It's, it's, see, it's good to do talks like this because you, you really realize that if you don't have somebody, I, I like to describe it. I'm, I'm going and I'm throwing everything I can back in the boat and I need you guys to process this and things like that. Um, but it really, it takes a humble person. And also, like you said, a, a confident person. Um, and so that's why we target people, you know, I, I think in a recruitment effort, I want to find the number two or three guy that may be behind a guy that's a super or guy or girl that's a superstar and going to be there for a long time. And so you kind of paint the, the picture for them that like, look, we're going to replicate the success of these people. And here you go. Here's your opportunity. Um, but again, they do have to have confidence for you. And, and mm. you know, I think it grows over time, but you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, it's, it's what, what I think brings the company together. And if, you know, if you can do that over time, it, it's, it's a great, bond you create yeah okay so here's here's a, an interesting question for you um much of your story has been up and to the right right yeah. where it went from here it went from good to better to better to better um but i also know you're human and i know you're an organization that has troubles just like any organization has troubles so what i'm curious about whether it's in this season in particular or it could be something that's plagued it the whole time what is an example of a, maybe a consistent and persistent problem that's existed, almost like a thorn in the side of like still either have never figured this out or just currently this is an example of something that we are having to overcome or, or be creative with a solution about? Yeah, I mean, 
the, the one of the things that plagued us for, for years that we finally did solve was finding someone that could run the management company. And I think, you know, it was just something that was so foreign to me, meaning I would never do it. It was just really hard. So I would get somebody that had done similar, some, you know, I was buying, I was looking for resumes instead of looking for the right person. I was going off resumes mm. and, and what people told me they could do and things like that. So, you know, I think, you know, over time, we've had the luxury of kind of now promoting from within and things like that. But when you're just starting out, it's so easy to just believe somebody's word. And, and when they tell you, you can do, they can do it or whatever, you, you're, you, you want to. Okay, you can do it. Here, I'm going back to what I'm doing. You know, the, the worst thing you can do is let somebody that's not as good as they say they are or somebody that maybe has a different cultural vibe, right? have control of, of part of your business it's it's like a cancer so yeah you'd be very choosy on who you know you put in a position of of you know of of power and and then monitor it you know you know a, a, a telltale example is if no one's getting any credit other than that person you should probably look into it you know and mm. and, and so uh you know it's it's that's been one lesson that, that's been you know it's been a hard one to learn. I've learned that a lot because it's not easy to bring people in and bring them out. Um, and the other one I think is just uh, how do you motivate people to think like an owner, mm. you know? And so it's like an ownership mentality. How do you get people when, you know, when no one's looking, how do you have people monitoring things? How do you have people that care, you know? And so I think instilling that and building a company, you know, that's, that's an ongoing thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, so moving and motivating your people to be autonomous, to be self-directed, to bring their best to the table sounds like one. Yeah. And the other, you know, we've talked about this uh, before. I can't remember where I first heard this. It's definitely not mine. But to be slow to hire, quick to fire. Oh, yeah. Usually we're the other way around. We're yeah. quick to hire and slow to fire. And so cancers stay around forever and you never should have hired them in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but that can be tricky, right? To know, is this a good fit? You know, the guy, rich dad, poor dad, uh, oh. Kiyosaki. Yeah, great. I, heard, I heard an interview with Rich Dad, the guy that was Rich Dad in that example. Yeah. And he talked about that he believes 99% of an organization's problems result from not having A players. That yeah. if you had the right culture fit and you had the right capacity and capabilities, you wouldn't even have those problems in the first place because they would have got worked out. Right? He's, yeah, he's right. I mean, Steve Schwartzman, the, the founder of Blackstone, said it very well too. And he basically was describing the type of people we are. And he was saying, we're all nines and tens. Basically we're all tens, right? Occasionally we have nines. What's a nine, a nine, somebody that's just almost there and they're just learning a little bit more. We don't really have many eights around and then sevens, you know, we don't even know what those are. And so <laughs> I thought that was just so cool that like, that's what it takes. I mean, you're not going to be expecting to win a basketball or football game if you don't have the right players. Right. You know? And so, yeah, I think you have to be as like the saying is business is business is probably a harsh and, and outdated statement, but it's true. And and I'll tell you the the quick to hire, uh, uh, slow to slow to hire, quick to fire, is so spot on that if anyone listens to this and ever has to fire somebody, do it. And 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 the second you have that inkling, I'm telling you, you're going to eventually be doing it. And yeah. so it's just you know if if one little nugget of advice. I could pass along is it's never, it's never fun. It's always messy, but it's always worth it. Yeah, yeah. man. That's good. Um, I want to circle back around same, uh, same type of question that Drew asked, but kind of like present day, because you even mentioned early on 
about some of your transition, even in your role, like your ability to continue to delegate. And now you're able to look even to things outside of uh, Carol Org or just continuing to build the empire in some ways. So same, same kind of question, but tag it into COVID and then maybe give one that's just not COVID related, but what's the organizations? Like if you looked at the organization as a outside consultant and you're looking at it, like what's the organization's most consistent present problem right now? Uh, COVID related and not COVID related. Like what's, I would love one that you're just facing like, Hey, this is the biggest challenge right now within our current circumstance. But also I think this is one that's independent of our scenario. Oh, independent of this scenario, just what yeah. problems we're dealing with. <clears throat> I mean, look, you're kind of catching me at a time when things are running smoothly, which is, is you know, but yeah. I will say communication is a, con a uh, consistent issue. And, and by cons and communication, what I mean is, you know, make sure everybody in the company knows the vision of the company. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So, you know, I see public company CEOs, they put out, you know, annual letters. It's very hard. Um, uh, you know, I, again, I try to put myself in the, uh, the position of if I work yeah. for a company, um, I want to know what the, the, the mission is. What are we trying to do every day? Yeah, I know yeah. I'm in the accounting department. What's the mission of the company? And so I think, you know, one of the struggles is how to continue to communicate that company-wide and, and get buy-in um, because, you know, that's, that's frankly what we're looking for. Um, and so I'd say communication, but gosh, yeah. with technology, it's really helped. I mean, you know, there were years that I went around to every single property, which I still love to do it. It's fun, but, you know, this is efficient, <laughs> you know? And so I think yeah. staying on the same page and, and, and getting people to think long-term. You know, not getting people to say, well, if I do this, do I get raised? You know, talk to me about your 10-year goals. How can you do that within this organization? You know, that's that's the the, the long-term greedy aspect. Getting that across is is key, you know, and so I think those are the two main, I don't really call them problems, but those are the things I spend a lot of time on is, is making sure everybody's crystal clear on what we're doing, even if we don't have a clear plan. Um, you know, instilling that confidence that there is a plan. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then also that it's the right plan. It's not just a greedy, let's rip people's heads off and things like that. You know, it's, it's passion. It's, yeah. It's passion about doing things in a certain way. You know, yeah. if you can believe you can be the best, you know, good to great. It's a fantastic business book. And it yeah. says, find something that you can honestly be the best in the world at. And so I think us at Carol, we believe we can be the best in the world at what we do at the real estate yeah. things like that. I think if we go into other industries, we're going to think about that too. Um, and we'll probably apply that same metric. You know, no one really sets out to do it, uh, uh, get into a new sector and say, okay, we're going to be right in the middle of a pack. You know, yeah. so um, one of the things that was uh, kind of curious to me as we were doing our, our prep and you even mentioned the good to great best in the world uh, on your website talks about applying kind of out of industry, uh, expertise or out of industry insights uh, into your industry. And that's a, that's a competitive advantage for you. Um, yeah. Give us an example of that. Cause I think that's probably a pretty good concept for anybody who's probably sitting in your seat or wants to have a fast growing company. How do you take something out of industry, apply it to yours? What things did you see that weren't necessarily real estate that you, you applied into your industry that kind of changed the game, gave you an advantage? Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, taking from, from other companies with fast, fast growth and scale. So, you know, our CEO, David Perez has done a good job. He had a technology background. So similar to your friend, one of you guys mentioned you had a friend that built several technology companies. 
So somebody with expertise in scaling that up, the people part of it is, is an tar- entirely different skill set than the real estate. Real estate, you're going, okay, tell me about my location. Tell me about my demographics. Let, how am I going to finance this thing? You need to also bring in somebody that's going, how am I going to get the bodies and how am I going to manage those bodies and motivate them? So it's two different skill sets. And so the, the business sector, we looked into the technology sector, but you know, everything I've ever studied, it, I've kind of looked at it as this is applicable, you know, to, to, to the real estate business, you know, a business is a business. And so one of my favorite guys to read anything he puts out is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett has a way of making things so simple and so understandable you know, it's almost like the common sense factor. And to me, that really, you know, kicked in. So applying common sense is, is, is something that's so underrated, I think. Yeah, I was just listening to Warren Buffett interview, just a quick clip and talking about his circle of competence, which is a lot of what we talked about today. Yeah. Just your unique ability, uh, which I think <laughs> is Dan Sullivan's term. Um, yeah. yeah, that's powerful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, what... This has been fantastic. What we'd love to do, seriously, I mean, such wisdom and gold. Uh, What we'd love to do is end with virtually the same questions we ask every founder. It's fun to see the different answers that arise out of the same questions. Uh, So Jordan's going to read just five kind of rapid fire questions for us to uh, bring this amazing interview to a close. Yeah. Awesome, man. Rapid fire time. Uh, So question number one, uh, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? (laughs) Hurry up. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's it. Hey, this will be our first edit right here. We'll cut this out. <laughs> That's right. Try again. No, yeah. I like that. Hurry up. Um, any, uh, what's behind that? Uh, excellence. Sweet. You know, let's do everything with excellence in mind. You know, whether it's greeting somebody that walks in the door or putting together a report, if yeah. you keep excellence in mind, you know, you're going to put it, put it, put something out that's, that you're proud of. Yeah. Mm. Not to put words in your mouth, but is it a little bit of like excellence at speed? Like it's exactly like that. Excellence at speed. You know, if it takes too long for you, you know, if it takes you an hour to make it and, and, the, and, and the crowd leaves in five minutes, it's no help for anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I spent some time. I was a Chick-fil-A guy. So for three years, yeah, that's part, of, part of my background and we've already referenced Chick-fil-A too, but one of yeah. the powerful things is, is they can drop that chicken, uh, that fried chicken into their, their pressure cooker and four minutes and 20 seconds later, you've got a delicious chicken sandwich. And yep. so uh, excellence is speed. It, it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome, man. All right. Question number two, uh, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what is the worst? It's actually a little twofold question, single best and single worst advice. I mean, single best advice I probably got was, you know, you can do it. It is possible. Mm. And, you know, yeah, it's going to be hard and all that, but just people that actually that you respected that told you, yes, what you're doing is, and that's the best thing to hear. And on the opposite, somebody telling you what you can, what you're trying to do is impossible. That's the worst advice ever. And yes. so, you know, there's never a hard line in the sand regardless, you know, mm. you know, so I think, you know, I think that those are the best, the people that really, you know, and follow it up with like, this is how you do it and things like that. That's fantastic. And so if you go on the internet and just scroll the amount of content that's on YouTube, et cetera, of people that have had real life experience and are telling people how they can do it. God, that's right. You know, that's good Same. information. 
Yeah. The people yeah. that say, listen, no, 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 that can never be done, this and that, you know, that's, that's horrific advice. What about yeah. this? I did this in our last interview, and I, I, I want to do it again in this one because I liked it. What about industry-specific worst advice you hear, maybe specific to real estate, where you're like, man, I always hear people saying do this, and it's don't do it that way. Is there yeah. anything specific to real estate? Yeah. Or yeah. I think it's industry. It's, it's universal. This is the worst statement anyone can ever say. That'll never happen. You know, hmm. that could never happen is the dumbest statement ever. And, and so I think, uh, I think that, and you know, when people say, you know, take the real estate business, this is not a technology business this is a real, you know, BS. Yeah. And so you have mm-hmm. to incorporate technology. It's making everything faster, everything more efficient, et cetera. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're trying to say, listen, this is a, this is not us. It's like saying, you know, a brick and mortar retail. That's like Barnes and Noble going, you know what? These electronic books, that's a fad. That's you right. <laughs> yeah. Well, About to become blockbuster. You don't I want know, that. Gosh, poor blockbuster. <laughs> uh, they always get referenced. Uh, There's still one back. store. There's still yeah. one store holding on. It's in Dallas, right? No, yeah. I think, I think it was like in Alaska. Oh God. There's literally one store and it's, it's still surviving COVID. That was like an article I saw. It's even surviving COVID. <laughs> Gosh, that is insane. Um, all right. Uh, question number three, uh, being completely honest, you've done a great job with that thus far. Uh, what's your secret fear that keeps you up at night personally? Uh, again, I think I said it earlier in the conversation, but the worst fear is that your employees don't show up for work in the morning. You know, and I think, you know, you got to keep that in mind when you're running a large group. You know, you saw it with Google. Google had people, you know, boycotting and things like that. It's just the human aspect of it is a delicate animal. And yeah. so you have to uh, you have to remind yourself that this is optional, you know, and for the most part, you know, you, you got to be nice. You've got to lead, you know, with compassion and things like that. So my biggest fear is, is, you know, have my employees not show up and, <laughs> you know, and I'm standing on the Island by myself. Yes. <laughs> Left holding the bag, all the bills. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, all right. Yeah. Question number four. Uh, what's the dream result you're driving towards every day right now? I mean, I want to build a legacy. I think, you know, long mm-hmm. time ago, you know, Crow, Crow, uh, Crow real estate, you know, channel Crow, Crow holdings. That was, you know, one of the companies I looked at Heinz, but it's, it's just, it's really cool when you can build a company and that company alone represents something, excellence or whatever. It's like, I remember I used to get uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, somebody from Goldman Sachs would hand me, hand me their business card and I'd almost be afraid to, to wrinkle it. And so I think that's, to <laughs> me, is, is building something that you can be proud of in that sense, building a brand that, that is universal, that's, that's applicable to different businesses, but that yeah. represents quality. I think that's, that's my big hairy audacious goal <laughs> yeah i love that one that's yeah. that's legit all right final question uh takes a little creativity here if you could hop in a delorean and go back for five seconds to your past and shout one thing to yourself from the driver window when would you go back and what would you say don't be so impatient mm. you know? Don't be so impatient. Don't beat yourself up that hard, you know, I think. But I probably also, you know, I would probably also, yeah, I mean, that's my biggest advice is, is yeah. it's okay to be a hard charger and things like that, but things take time, mm-hmm. you know. And so how do you get comfortable with that? 
you know, how do you get comfortable without having instant gratification, you know, especially when financial pressures are in, involved. And that's, that's a hard thing to get comfortable with, but you have to, you have to take the long-term approach to something and just know that this is a long-term game and this is not something that you can achieve even in one year. You know, it's, it's like applying a layer of paint every year. And, uh, I think, you know, that's a hard thing to do for a hard charging personality. You want it all and you want it yesterday. Mm, uh, yeah. So I think if you can stop and, and, and take, you know, that kind of advice early on, you're going to be way ahead of the pack. You know? Yeah, that's a beautiful paradox too. The, the patient hard charger and excellent <laughs> speed. You know, Man. somebody told me one time you want to go from being, you want to go, you want to go from, you know, early on you want to be the bull and then later in your the career you want to be the matador. And so, you know, how can you make that transition? Because you, you know, instead of yes, yes, grow, 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 you have to be like, eh, I'll mm. take that. You know, Warren Buffett says most, you know, the difference between successful people and ultra successful people is ultra successful people say no more. And so, you know, I think you have to be conscious about making that flip, you know, a little bit. But yeah, it's not yeah we heard say yes. <laughs> I heard somebody. I think it's on Tim Ferriss's podcast. One of his friends talked about the he uses the hell yes rule or the hell no rule. I like it. That early on, you don't have that luxury when yeah. whatever you're doing, like you kind of take what you can get. Yeah. But when you get to a certain level of success, you're held back by yeah. all the commitments you feel obligated to say yes to. Yep. And so he made a simple rule. He said, if someone offers me a podcast interview or a book deal or whatever, if I don't say hell yes, immediately in my heart, then it's a hell no. It's right. And I thought that was so pretty brilliant. I heard somebody tell me that uh, a guy told me that one time. I swear, I thought he, I literally have it written down and I gave him credit for that. So Tim Ferriss, man, I love it. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's look, you may not be able to start out saying that, but you, it's, it's a good guidepost, you know? Yes, absolutely. Well, man, I want to just uh, celebrate you for a second and just okay. your, your, auda your audacity at 24 years old to take on risk. That was the first thing you did, man. When you take on property, you take on risk. Oh yeah, And man. to see, to see the way that you have uh, played to your strengths while also inviting other people's strengths into your life and organization has been a beautiful thing to, to hear about. And the evidence is in the, the fact that you guys are one of the best places to work for. Yeah, and man. the amount of success you have means that people want to keep working with you because your reputation is great. Um, and the skills so far of, of leverage and imitation and mentors and all that you guys are doing uh, is really something to be admired. So thank celebrate you. you, buddy. And thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Absolutely, man. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. We're going to try. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O 5000.com. -O 